If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. A wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to have the opportunity of sharing some ideas, look at the Parsha, try to understand certain lessons in life. And as I mention almost every single week, how important it is for Torah to become our guide in life. Torah is eternal. Torah is the wisdom of God given from God directly to the Jewish people at Sinai. And it contains within it so many dimensions of life. It contains mitzvot. It contains certain interesting stories. It tells us basically how life has to be developed and led through every single situation. Very often in life, There is much doubt, much concern, much confusion. Torah brings us clarity, and in that clarity, we see how to continue and how to function in a way that God intends us to function. And this is why the Parsha of the week is so vital to each and every one of us, because what it conveys, what it tells us, is precisely how to live our lives in the fullest sense of the word Torah is called, Torah is Chaim, it's called the Torah of life. It's not only a guide to life, it adds to life, it brings life, it brings passion into life, clarity, as I mentioned before, and purpose. And this is why the weekly Parsha carries within it a very specific message. It takes time and effort, and often a lot of effort to try and hear and see what in fact that particular message is for every individual, the relevance of the Torah message on a weekly basis to each and every one of us. But at the same time, it's important to realize and to know that that is precisely what it's all about. Actually, this program was pre pre-recorded earlier in the week because I am currently in Brooklyn, New York, attending the annual Kinus HaShluchim, the conference of the Rebbe's emissaries that takes place each and every single year around this time. It's an incredible program. It's something which really not only boggles the mind as a result of its sheer size, but it's something which really brings to mind how, in fact, the Rebbe's message, the idea of Chabad Lubavitch, has spread throughout the entire world in an incredible sort of way. Well, over well over 4,000 shluchim from every corner of the world will come together and share ideas, listen to what others have to say, tremendous sessions dealing with every single topic that can affect the life of a shliach. A shliach is an all-inclusive sort of person. Comes to a place, he has to do whatever has to be done in order to promote Yiddishkeit, authentic Yiddishkeit, and to promote a sense of warmth, of excitement, of dedication to Torah, to God, based upon the teaching of Hasidus of Arabeim, particular our own Rebbe of blessed memory. And this is why I am here in Brooklyn, New York at this time to share in this incredible event. I will, as I said before, joining thousands of others. And while it's difficult to talk about what's the highlight of the, uh, of the kinos, what in fact makes it so special, well, there's so many highlights, so many different dimensions, each and every single session attended to often by hundreds, sometimes thousands of individuals. That in itself is a highlight. But if one wanted to pinpoint certain exciting moments, I would say it's, first of all, the group photo on Sunday morning 
where thousands, as I said before, over 4,000 people gathered together in front of 770, the headquarters of uh, Chabad Lubavitch, the place where the Rebbe had his shul, his office, and where he spent so much time leading Chabad throughout the world and responding to the needs of tens of hundreds of thousands of Jews and non-Jews throughout the world who turned to him on a regular basis for blessing and guidance. And uh, they set up these huge stands, these huge, uh, well, structures that is able to hold all these people. And it's quite an event, in fact, attended by uh, journalists from every single media outlet in the greater New York area. Pictures are taken, hundreds of people stand in front and actually watch this wonderful event. You know, special cameras, everybody is looking. How they actually do it, I don't know. But, in fact, that's one of the highlights. The other highlight, of course, is the banquet, the banquet which takes place on Sunday night. Sunday night, well over 5,000 people will gather in a huge conference center in New Jersey, just outside of New York, which is able to house this amount of people. And an incredible banquet is prepared. Not only a great, wonderful meal, (laughs) quite amazing to see how well over 5,000 people are served a full meal, a magnificent meal, within 20 minutes. It's an army of waiters and people who organize. But as you walk into the room, the amount of technology that goes into it with, well, whatever, video presentations and massive screens and the sound systems, it's an incredible, incredible event. It starts, in fact, started yesterday on Thursday, and it will continue through Monday. And as I said before, each and every single day is filled with all sorts of special activity. Shabbos, of course, is a tremendous highlight. There's a communal meal on Friday night where people get together, Chaveidim, Shluchim, who haven't seen each other often for well over a year sometimes, sometimes even more. And they have the opportunity to reacquaint themselves, to reunite people that you went to yeshiva with, people that you spend time, well, earlier on, and you have the opportunity of spending all this wonderful time together in joy with tremendous sense of unity and camaraderie and sharing and living. This is what the Kinnis is all about. It's difficult to describe the Kinnis. Please, God, when I'm back next week, I will tell you in greater detail about the, well, the great excitement that took place, the great event that took place. I'll tell you in greater detail what, in fact, has happened. But uh, suffice to say, for those of you who have ever been, and there are quite a few South Africans who've made the trip because there is a parallel program on Sunday. It's called the Partners Program, where people who aren't Shluchim are able to attend and to hear incredible speakers talk about a tremendous array, array of, of, uh, of talks on so many different subjects, in fact, Specialists in every single sphere and every single element of shlichas come together, invited to speak to the shluchim in various sessions. It's an incredible event, both in terms, as I said before, in terms of numbers and also in terms of the incredible content as well. And as I said, please God, next week when I'm back, I will tell you all about it in greater greater detail. We're going to talk about the Parsha in a short while. The Parsha, of course, is Chaye Sara, the life of Sara, a strange name for a Parsha which actually describes the death of Sara, the burial of Sara. But nonetheless, our sages have much to say on the subject, the idea 
of what life and a legacy is really all about. You know, we often think about life as something we simply pass through. And not enough of us spend time thinking about what is the legacy that we are creating and what is the legacy that we are leaving behind. And as we examine the life of Sarah, the first of the matriarchs, the first of the emot, the mothers of the Jewish people, we begin to see an extraordinary type of personality who not only raised a great family, raised a great nation. She is the mother of Israel. She is the mother of the Jewish people in the greater sense of the word. And we have to take a look at the parsha, take a look at the various stories of the parsha, and ask ourselves, as mentioned earlier, what message does it carry for me here and now? More of that soon. If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha Hashavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. As mentioned before, the Parsha is Chai Sarah, the life of Sarah, and ironically it speaks about the death of Sarah. And as I said earlier on, it's the idea of legacy. What did she create in this world? What merit did she have to become the great mother of Israel, the wife of Abraham? Abraham, who introduced the idea of ethical monotheism to the world, transformed the world. A world of tragic idolatry was transformed by the efforts of Abraham. But not Abraham on his own. Abraham had a tremendous partner, partner Sarah, his wife, who shared in all his vision, in all his effort. He was a man of chesed, and she too was a woman who had unbelievable levels of kindness, of devotion, a tremendous sense of caring and concern. She is a woman of, well, not only valor, she is a woman of greatness. To have that particular title, to be one of the matriarchs, one of the imot, one of the mothers of the Jewish people, the first of the four mothers of the Jewish people, this is an incredible privilege. This is an incredible element in life to have achieved. This is not something which came easy to her. It came with great difficulty because, as we know, Adam had gone through a great many challenges and tests. God himself tested Abraham not once, not twice, but ten times with enormous tests to find out if, in fact, he has the depth of faith that is necessary for him to become the father of the Jewish people. And even though he's the father of the Jewish people, the first of three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, nonetheless, he had a message in a sense. He was the father of the entire world. He had a message for everybody because initially when he was speaking, he was speaking to the entire world, a world, as I said before, of idolatry, a world of violence and corruption. And he introduced the idea of ethics, of decency, of faith in one God, the understanding of one God, the accountability to one God, the understanding that one God who brought the world into being, creator of heaven and earth, watches over the actions, the activities, the life of each and every single individual in great detail. This is the idea of individual divine providence. It's not something which, well, God put us into this world, and as a result, well, millions 
millions of people are born again and again and again and they go through the motions of life. No, each and every single individual in this world has a particular mission, a particular purpose. Often we don't understand it fully. Often it's the circumstances of life that gives us a glimpse and insight into what those dimensions of my mission are really all about. But the fact remains each and every single one of us is watched over in great detail. Every gesture, every movement, every thought, every word, every action that we do is ultimately seen by God. And we have to understand what, in fact, that privilege is and what the idea of accountability is all about. Nothing is lost. Nothing is, well, it happened, it was there, it's gone, it's in the past. Nothing in the past. Every single word, thought, and action that we have in a sense, lasts forever. This is the idea of Ashgach This is the idea of the faith that Abraham introduced to the world. Not only a distant God, a God that we have to fear, a God that we have to, well, follow to a certain degree, but he is far and distant and really doesn't look at each and every single one of us, certainly not at each and every single one of our actions. Abraham explained the idea of faith in God, one God, one God who brought the world into being, one God who directs the world, who manages the world, and he calls upon each and every one of us to fulfill our duty as individuals who were put into this world by God for a specific mission. This is why he becomes Avhamon. He becomes the father of the great nation's Ultimately, he is the father of humankind in so many different ways, even though there were predecessors, Adam, who brought, well, humankind into the world, but failed in his mission because the world came to an end with the flood. Even Noah, who repopulated the world, unfortunately, a great many situations drifted away, and he didn't have the ability, the capacity to address all of humankind to follow one God, whereas Abraham, Abraham has that strength tested by God again and again and again, showing fully that his faith is total and complete and something which will enable him to, in fact, carry out this incredible mission and purpose in life that he had. But as mentioned earlier on, he was ably assisted by his wife, Sarah. She wasn't some sort of distant bystander. She was an equal partner in bringing this incredible change to the world. As it says, Abraham was speaking to the men, Sarah was speaking to the woman with this powerful message of transition and change. The world has to become a better place. Actually, in fact, he had a tent open on four sides. Hospitality, which welcomed everybody into his home. But who was the one who actually did whatever it took to make sure that this home was one that was filled with kindness, with sharing, with caring. This was Sarah. Sarah was an enormously powerful spiritual woman. When we speak about Abraham, who was a bit distressed by banishing his son Ishmael, as Sarah demanded, what does God say to him? Listen to the voice of Sarah. And our commentaries point out that her power of prophecy was actually greater than the power of prophecy that Abraham had. While she may in many ways have been silent in terms of Torah, although we do hear her voice from time to time, nonetheless she is equal if not greater than Abraham himself in so many spiritual dimensions. In actual fact, our Kabbalistic and Hasidic masters tell us that what she accomplished in the world was something extraordinary. 
We all know the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and how God instructed them to watch over the garden. And all they had to do was to take care of this magnificent, beautiful garden and not to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge. But Chava Eve, unfortunately, as a result of all sorts of reasons, and our commentaries, our rabbis, give us powerful and magnificent explanations. Nonetheless, she mistakenly allowed herself to be misguided by the serpent who told her cunningly to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge, and she, in fact, manipulated Adam into eating. And this brought tremendous chaos into the world, a chaos that up to this day we're still trying to correct. It brought a darkness. It brought a tremendous sense of confusion. Instead of living in a perfect garden, and we understand that it means not only in the physical sense, but a perfect garden in every sense of the word. The world was thrust into darkness. Adam and Eve are banished from the Garden of Eden, and they have to make a tremendous contribution through living in a world of darkness and trying to reintroduce a sense of purpose into the world, and they weren't all that successful. And as I said before, our Hasidic and and, and Kabbalistic masters tell us that the mistake, the error, the problem that was created by Eve is something which was corrected as a result of her tremendous dedication by Sarah. Sarah was not only a woman who did incredibly great things, but she had the capacity of addressing that terrible, terrible mistake that Chava Eve had made and brought chaos into the world, particularly to women. And Sarah, as a result of her tremendous piety, her tremendous sense of concern, her tremendous devotion, the ability to stand up to all sorts of tests and challenges and to fulfill her mission in life with absolute perfection. This transformed the negativity that was created by Chava Eve into something which was positive. And this is why it says Chaye Sada. What is Chaye Sada? As our Kabbalists tell us that she received the blessing of Chaim Nitzchim, eternal life. And eternal life is not necessarily that which we understand life in the physical sense. It might contain dimensions of that as well. But she had a type of life that was so powerful. First of all, it lasts eternally. And second of all, it brought Chayas. It brought life. It brought passion. It brought excitement into the lives of others. She was not selfish with that which she achieved. She shared that blissful state of spiritual perfection with all those that she came into contact with. Sarah was an extraordinary woman. And as a result of the fact that while Eve had made a mistake by listening to the serpent, she as a result Sarah, as a result of her piety, transforms all of that. And they go on to explain what, in fact, Eve wanted to accomplish in the world was a sense of joy, a sense of simcha. And simcha, of course, a tremendously sublime level of serving God. Simcha is not only joy in the simple sense of the word, it's joy in the most powerful sense of the word. It is a joy, and a joy which is uplifting, a joy which is spiritual, a joy which is powerful, a joy which is all-inclusive. Joy, even at its lowest level, is something that makes each and every one of us feel so positive and so good. Can you imagine joy at the highest level? 
But at the same time, joy is a double-edged sword. Because if joy is applied in situations of negativity, which it can drift into, it brings about a state of confusion and destruction. And this was one of the great sins of Eve. She wanted to accomplish a tremendous level of joy in the world, but instead of doing it and protecting it and ensuring that a joy was retained in spiritual godly dimensions, she allowed it to drift off as a result of her being influenced by the serpent, who was extremely clever and cunning. And he realized that if, in fact, Eve would bring this sense of joy to the world, the world would eternally remain in a state of absolute, well, godly, divine perfection. And he did whatever he could to stop that. And therefore, he influenced her to take the joy that she was trying to bring into the world and allowing it to drift into areas of negativity where it became something that brought about destructive consequences. This is what Sarah changed. Sarah recognized that the only way you are able to introduce authentic joy into the world is to ensure that no element of that drifts into areas of negativity. And this is why it says that she laughed. She laughed because she recognized the joy at its purest state. And this is why our commentaries point out that even though it seems that she was laughing at the fact that God, well, the messengers of God said that she would have a child at this old age in a negative state, absolutely not, tell us our Kabbalistic masters. This was a sense of joy that she was trying to hide away from any type of drifting into negative, well, external states of negative joy that could have dire consequences. And as a result of her tremendous self-sacrifice, and we see it time and again in the life of Sarah, we see an incredible state of joy that was brought into the world that enables us to serve God with joy at the fullest and highest level. And this is why something strange. You often ask yourself, how is it that Sarah, of all the matriarchs and patriarchs, had the incredible schut, the incredible privilege of having a Parsha named after her, Chai Sarah. We don't have a Parsha called Avraham or Yitzchak or Yaakov or Rivka or Rachel or Leah. Well, we had three fathers and four mothers, and the only one who has the incredible privilege, schut, of having a Parsha named after them was Sarah. And one wonders why. If, in fact, it's the first, and Abraham should have had a Parsha named after him as well. It's not because she's the first of the matriarchs, but it's because she possessed, as I said earlier on, this Chaim Nitzchim, this eternal type of life. Now, as I said before, eternal type of life is not necessarily, well, simply physically living forever. Mountains live forever. Stars live forever. Physical objects, inanimate objects live forever. What does it mean, Chaim Nitzchim, that there is an eternity to every single moment of life? This is what she brought into the world as a result of the fact that she had the incredible self-sacrifice that she did and also because she transformed the negativity that was created by Eve into ultimately something which was positive and removed the consequences of negativity that were created by Eve. And this is why we see the life of Sarah. When they go down to Egypt, 
she, in fact, in order to protect Avraham, allows herself to say that he, she is his sister. And time and again we see that she does certain things that indicate that regardless of the difficulty involved, she will stand by those values that she believes to be powerful and great. For instance, as I said before, in terms of banishing Ishmael from her house, she doesn't want the influence of Ishmael on her son Yitzchak. Now, she was a woman of great chesed, and she knew her husband, Avraham, was a man of tremendous kindness. And yet she makes this type of demand, which was very difficult for Avraham to accept. But she realizes that in order to build a Jewish nation, in order to build not only a Jewish nation, but where Yitzchak would continue the line of Avraham, where he would not only be the son that carries on the name, but in fact deserve to carry on the name. The influence that would come into his life would be such that he would develop his character to such a degree that he in fact would become the second of the patriarchs. He in fact would become the second of the forefathers, the second of the avot of the Jewish people. And this is why we have to realize what Sarah did, what Sarah does. She often goes against certain elements within her own life and her own personality, as I said before, in terms of chesed, in terms of kindness, and to do something which seems to be harsh. But at the same time, it's an action which demonstrates her tremendous concern of protecting the integrity of Yitzchak, who has to carry on as the second of the three fathers of the Jewish people. This is what Sarah is all about. Sarah is a woman that not only is a great woman, a great teacher, a great leader, a great guide, a great mentor, a great example. She is the mother of the Jewish people. She ensures as a result of her unstinting and selfless behavior to ensure that the line of Abraham will continue. And this is why, as I mentioned earlier on, even though Abraham has great difficulty in hearing what she has to say, what does God say? When it comes to this matter, listen to the voice of Sarah. Because prophetically, she is greater than you are. She has a spirituality which exceeds yours. And therefore, you have to listen to what she is saying. Because what she is saying is not a negation of those values that you hold so precious, you hold so dear. But even more so, it is building the authenticity and the integrity of the line of Abraham where ultimately he will in fact succeed by becoming the second father, Yitzchak, becoming the second father of the Jewish people and building a Jewish nation that in fact will last forever. You ask yourself, where is this Chaim Yitzchim? Where is this eternal life that Sarah had and shared with others? Well, just look at the Jewish people, an eternal people, a people that have gone through every single difficulty in life, geographically, socially, psychologically, physically, being kicked from pillar to post by so many different nations throughout history. And yet here we are, again and again identifying ourselves as children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and saying to ourselves, we have great faith in what we stand for, in what we believe in. This was what Sarah contributed to the Jewish people. This is what she contributed to the world. More of that soon. If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Pasha HaShavua. 
the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Pasha, only on 101.9 High FM. As mentioned before, the greatness of Sarah is that she contributes eternal life, and we see it in the Jewish people, in the presence of the Jewish people here and now. We see it in the Jewish people who, despite the fact that they have been challenged by every single nation, by every single situation in life, still remain loyal to their faith based upon the fact that they recognize Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their father, Sarah, Rebecca. Leah and Rachel, as their mothers, the fathers and mothers of the Jewish people. And so we continue. And this is what Chayisar is really all about. This parasha is all about, even though we read about the death of Sarah, it's not the death at all. It is the continuation of this incredible legacy that she was protecting in order to ensure that her son Yitzchak was raised in an atmosphere of spiritual perfection, that he was raised in a situation of greatness, of holiness, of dedication, that Every type of negative influence was removed from his environment so that he could continue in the same spirit as did his father, although of a different character. We'll talk about that next week, of a different character, but nonetheless continuing the authentic, integral legacy of Abraham, Chai the life of Sarah. And this is why she is the only one who has that incredible privilege of an entire Parsha being named after her. Because without her, without her, it would have been lost after the first generation. And it's as a result of her Total, total self-sacrifice that it continues, it continues in the spirit of what Abram introduced into the world. And also the idea of Simcha, the idea of bringing a tremendous sense of joy, a joy that cannot be corrupted by external dimensions. It is something which is focused purely into areas of goodness and godliness. This is what she introduced into the world. And she corrected what the first woman, unfortunately, had created as a result of her mistaken behavior. And because of that, Sarah stands well, above all, in a certain sense, she is the one who continues the legacy, not only of the Jewish people, but ultimately out of, of all humanity, of all humankind. This is who Sarah is really all about. And this is why the portion of the week, even though it talks, as I said before, as physically at the end of her life, it's very much the beginning of her life, because we see her ongoing influence in every single situation. And this is why the Parsha speaks about, well, it speaks about two elements, two elements that bear testimony to what she did and the type of woman, great woman, that she was, is. The first of all is the purchase of the, uh, well, the double cave, the Meorat HaChapela in Hebron. And this is a physical, a physical reminder that this is what Abraham had not, had done. Not only, not only did he bury his wife, but he did so in a way publicly purchasing a piece of land in which Adam and Eve were buried. And people could make the mistake, well, Adam and Eve are the mother and father of all humankind, and therefore belongs to everybody. Abraham says, no, each and every person, true, has a certain mission. But the Jewish people were given a unique mission. And the reminder, the monument to that is Hebron. 
And Hebron is a place, well, in fact, the Shabbos, thousands of people will converge upon Hebron to celebrate the purchase of, of Abraham from the Hittites and to demonstrate the eternity of the Jewish people, the patriarchs, matriarchs, other than Rachel, are buried there, the unique mission of the Jewish people, and this comes about as a result of Sarah. Abraham purchased it on behalf of Sarah because he knows what she accomplished, and he wants to have an eternal physical marker to indicate this is the place where she is buried to indicate that her eternal life, what she has shared with each and every one of us, lives on in each and every one of us. It's tragic that we have to fight so hard to protect our rights but the Torah gives testimony to the fact that it was a purchase at the best possible price he didn't stint, he did something publicly and nobly in order to commemorate the life and legacy of Sarah which is the life and legacy of the Jewish people, and the second thing of course is the marriage of Yitzchak and Rebekah, where he sends, Abraham sends his loyal servant, Eliezer, to a distant land, to his father, well, to the place of, of his birth, to his family, because he knows that he must do whatever he can to ensure that Yitzchak will have a wife that is similar to the wife that Avram had. He has to ensure that she's not only a fine person in the sense that we normally talk about fine people, but she has to have the qualities of the personality of Sarah because Rebecca takes over this duty, this responsibility of protecting, authenticating, and eternalizing the legacy of the Jewish people. And this is why the Torah tells us at great length, not twice, but twice, not once, but twice, more than twice, about all the details of this marriage. Because what Eliezer, who is a loyal servant of Avraham and knows precisely what Avraham wants, is going to go through a whole process to ensure that he will not disappoint his master Abraham, but in fact will bring back a woman who is worthy of becoming the wife of Yitzchak, not only because she's a wonderful woman, but because she is a woman that possesses similar qualities to that which Sarah had and will have the incredible privilege of continuing, as mentioned before, this incredible legacy. And this is why this Parsha, this Parsha is so incredibly powerful. It's a pivotal moment. It's not only a moment of, well, let's do something great for Sarah. It's not doing something great for Sarah. It's doing something great for the entire Jewish people who have lived through so much and so many difficult times. We always somehow draw upon the eternal life of Sarah. It gives us the ability to continue despite the challenges that we go through. This Parsha talks to us about something which is so central to all our lives. It's something which talks about our own eternity, our own existence and the legacy that we have to create and the privilege of continuing this unbelievable line which began with Abraham and Sarah to ensure that what follows us, each and every one of us, will be something that will bring honor to their name. This is so important for us to understand within the context of this parsha. It's not only while talking about a great woman and talking about her wonderful life and her piety and her beauty and her tremendous sense of self-sacrifice etc., etc. That of course is something which needs to be said and done. More 
More importantly, however, what are we doing about it? How are we living our life? Do we can honestly say we are proud that Abraham and Sarah are forebears, but are they proud of us as their progeny, as their children? Are we fulfilling the incredible mission and dream that they had in order to change the world for better? Are we people who have taken that incredible gift of eternal life and making it continue? in a sense, that our children will want to continue as well. And this is why this Parsha is so important. Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah, ironically, as I said before, it speaks about the death of Sarah, but it's anything but the death. It is the eternal life that continues again and again and again. And therefore, when you're in shul tomorrow, listen carefully to the story. You may have heard it, well, many, many times. Listen to it again. And listen to it with an ear that tells you, ah, what can I personally learn from this incredible woman, from the actions of Abraham, from the actions of Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, from the story of Yitzchak? What can I personally learn from all of that? I can learn what piety is. I can learn what your beauty is. I can learn what selflessness and dedication is really about. I can learn of how to find a partner in life and how to continue the legacy. And we have to continue the legacy with a tremendous sense of devotion, with a tremendous sense of joy. Good Shabbos.